Welcome to Directions in Rashi, a podcast that will help you understand individual comments from Rashi throughout the Chumash, and that will also introduce you to some of the general principles which I feel uh, directed Rashi in his creation of his commentary, and that will help us to understand his commentary better all around. Welcome. Parshas Koirach is about a rebellion against Moshe Rabbeinu, which was started and conducted by a levy named Koirach and his uh, chief assistants, his chief uh, partners in crime, were two people named Dosan Vaviram, and there were 250 uh, very important leaders of the general community who became part of his team. And eventually, Korach was able to draw the entire Klal Yisrael uh, into his uh, net, uh, perhaps not as uh, open sympathizers or, or active uh, proponents of his plan, but at least to the extent that everybody was willing to at least listen to him and to see what would happen. I'd like to focus on a fairly small section of text regarding this rebellion. I will say at the, at the start, that there are several questions which are unanswered in my mind, and I have no great uh, general theory about the Mechlekes of Korach, but I think there are a number of interesting points in these few psukim. After uh, Korach uh, expressed his discontent with Moshe, primarily that Moshe had taken for himself the leadership of Klai Yisrael, he had appointed his brother Aaron, to be the Kayan Gadol. He had appointed a, uh, someone named Elit Safan, who was younger than Kairach, to lead the, um, the Kahasi family of Levian. So Moshe Rabbeinu uh, threw down the gauntlet, so to speak, and he made the following challenge to Kairach. We read in Perik Tezayin, Pasuk Tezayin. Moshe El Kairach. Moshe said to Kairach, you, and all of your, your, uh, your, your congregation, be in front of Hashem, present yourselves in front of Hashem, meaning at the oil mayid, at the mishkan, you and they, and tomorrow. Rashi explains there that Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to push them off until the next day. Perhaps things would calm down. Now, what did Moshe Rabbeinu want them to do the next day? And take each man his machta. A machta is a sort of a pan with a long handle, and it is used for burning incense. So each person should take his incense pan, and you should place upon it incense, not just any incense, but the katoiris, the very holy mix of katoiris that was burnt on the Mizbeach HaZahav in the Mishkan every day, and later in the Beis HaMikdash, place upon, each person should place upon his fire, plan, fire pan some Ketoris, and you shall bring close in front of Hashem each person his fire pan. In other words, each person should bring as a korban his incense. Each person should burn incense in front of Hashem as a korban. 250 fire pans. 
and also you, Koirach, and Aaron, each man his firepan. So this is highly unusual. Normally, uh, the Ketoris, the Ketoris, was only to be burnt upon the special golden Mizbeach in the Mishkan, not to be used in any other way. But here, Moshe Rabbeinu uh, threw down this challenge to Korach. And Korach accepted, as we read, by Yikhu Ishmach Tosoi, and they took each person his firepan, each person took his machta, by Yitznu Alehem Eish, and they placed upon the firepan some fire, they put some hot, burning hot coals in the pan, by Yasimu Alehem Ketoris, and they placed upon them Ketoris, they placed the incense spices in the pan, by Yamdu Pesach Oil Mayed, and they stood by the entranceway to the Oil Mayed, to the Mishkan, Moshe the Aharon, and also Moshe and Aaron were there. Now, Pasuk Yutes, Vayakel Alehem Koirach Eskol Ho'edor, and Koirach congregated upon them, presumably upon Moshe and Aaron, Eskol Ho'edor, the entire congregation. This means the entire congregation, in simplicity, the entire congregation of Klai his whole congregation, his uh, 250 odd people, he already had. They were there already. What does it mean that Korach brought, uh, congregated upon Moshe and Aaron, the Ada? It means the Ada of Am Yisrael, El Pesach Oyel Mayed. He brought them all to the doorway of the Oyel Mayed where his people were standing. And then the glory of Hashem appeared to the entire congregation. Rashi says, Kodesh Baruch appeared, quote unquote, in a cloud. A cloud of the Shekhinah descended in that area, in that place where they could all see it. Let's take a look at Rashi on Pasuk Yutes. It's a relatively short Rashi, but there are a lot of points to discuss here. So it says that Koirach congregated upon Moshe and Aaron the congregation. They brought them all together. Rashi says, the divrei leitzanus. He did this with words of leitzanus, words of scoffing, words of, of joking about, well, it doesn't say exactly about what, but scoffing kind of words, words that would tend to make fun, not that tend to, words that were intended to make fun of Moshe and Aaron and their decisions. Rashi says, Kol hahu, that whole night, what, what is Rashi? That whole night, meaning which night? The night before the previous actions took place. Moshe Rabbeinu told them, everyone should come tomorrow, Machar, everyone should come, all of your people should come with their machdots and present themselves to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So according to Rashi, Korach went, Kol hahu, that whole night, Halach Eitzel HaShvatim, he went to the various tribes. He went to each tribe. Upita Oisam. And he literally seduced them. He convinced them and he spoke to them. And he, he tried to influence them to come and be on his side. He said to them, <clears throat> Do you think that upon me alone I am Makbid? Do you think that my uh, complaints and my concern? It's only about me. It's only because I want to be the leader. 
I'm only concerned. I'm only uh, I'm only uh, disturbed with Moshe Rabbeinu about his decisions. It's not because of me. Not because I want to be something great. It's bishvil kulchem. It's for all of them. It's for all of you. These people, Moshe and Aaron, they come and they take all of the great positions in the nation. To him, Moshe Rabbeinu is the kingdom. And to his brother, he gave the priesthood. So I'm coming to, I'm coming to represent all of you. This is always what uh, revolutionaries always say. Then after the revolution, <laughs> Then the leader becomes the leader, and he's not interested in having and sharing power. Very typical. But this is what Kairach said to them: "Ad kulam." Until they were all seduced or convinced. Uh, Rashi sounds even stronger than when I was the way I was saying it at first. They were all seduced and convinced that uh, that Kairach is correct, and therefore they all came to the Oil Mayid, and they all were there to see what's going to happen. When Koirach and Aaron present their their Ketoris. let's concentrate on a few points in Rashi. First of all, Rashi introduces something here which does not seem to be, at least not on an obvious level, is not in the pasuk. He says that Koirach's method of bringing everyone together and getting them all onto his side was Vidivre late summons. Where did Rashi get this idea that it was done with scoffing? Gorarya explains that the Pusik, in fact, does not say how exactly he got them to all come together. It doesn't tell us his method. If his method was uh, something other than late sonus, maybe if he had used force, well, then the Pusik should have said so. But rather, it must be, Rashi, Rashi said to himself, it must be that he had used late sonus. Why does Rashi choose late sonus? because that was Koirach's modus operandi the whole time. If, well, if we will go back to the beginning of the Parsha, we're not going to go into, into a lot of detail, but Rashi at the very beginning of the Parsha uh, tells us in the name of, a, of, a, of the Midrash that Koirach had certain uh, scoffing, joking kind of complaints against Moshe Rabbeinu. He said, Moshe Rabbeinu, you're the leader. Everybody else has to, uh, has to follow. But he says, everybody's holy. Everybody in Klai Yisrael is very special. And he said, if you'd have a house, if you would have a bias mole svarim, if you'd have a house full of svarim, would you have to put a mezuzah on the house? The whole house is full of Sifrei Torah. The whole house, it contains one Sefer Torah after another Sefer Torah. And in every Sefer Torah, it says the parasha of Shema, which is in the, in the mezuzah. So would you have to put a mezuzah on the door? And this is... The Maral is saying this is a form of late sonus. He's scoffing at Moshe Rabbeinu. He said, if you have a talus, and the entire talus is made out of tchelus, is made out of that specially dyed blue thread, the whole talus, the whole garment. So Korach said, you have to put tzitzis on it. You have to put a string that a string on it that, that's tchelus. The whole thing is made out of tchelus. Also, the Maral understands that this is late sonus. Yes, obviously, it's a talus. The Torah says that a four-cornered garment has to have tzitzis. The Torah doesn't say that, uh, that if it's made all of tzitzis, it doesn't have to have it. So Torah's general uh, method 
of fomenting his rebellion was to use Leitzanus, was to use scoffing. And therefore Rashi concluded that it must be that that's what he used over here, because that's the only way we can understand why the Torah didn't specify what method he used. If he had used some method other than Leitzanus, the Torah should have said what it was. But, but the only way we can understand why the Torah doesn't say is because the Torah was assuming that he, the Torah was, was uh, assuming that you will know that he used here the same method that he had been using since the beginning of his rebellion. And that, mes- that method is Leitzanus. The Sefer Mare Rochel says a, a, different, uh, a different explanation. How did Rashi know that, that uh, Koirach used Leitzanus against Moshe Rabbeinu in order to, to foment uh, ill feeling amongst the people toward Moshe Rabbeinu? So the Mare Rochel says that it's implicit in these words that Rashi quotes in his Dibur Amasko. It says, Vayakil Aleihem Koirach. It could have said, Vayakil Koirach Aleihem. More often than not, in the Hebrew of the, of the Torah, in the language of the Chumash, we have the verb, and then immediately we have the subject of the verb, the person who is doing it, or, the, or if it's Hashem, the entity that is doing it. You have Vayedaber Hashem. Vayedaber is the verb, and then immediately Hashem. You don't put in other words in between, Vayedaber and Hashem. Usually, there are exceptions. You have Vayishlach Yaakov. Vayishlach is the verb. Who did it? Yaakov. You don't put in other words, when he did it, how he did it. Those usually come later in the sentence. But normally you have verb and then subject of the verb. Here, the Torah broke that rule. Here it says, Vayakel Aleihem Chorach. So the Sefer Mayra Rochel contends that the Torah is emphasizing that the words that Chorach said here were specifically directed against Moshe. That he specifically was, was making fun of Moshe Rabbeinu. It's not just saying, I want to be the leader. I'm, I'm the greatest. Uh, certain things are unfair to you. That might have been more, uh, more, more polite and more, more, perhaps more acceptable, even though we're talking about Moshe Rabbeinu. But here, he was Vayakel Aleihem. He gathered the people upon Moshe Rabbeinu and Ari. That indicates that it was done with Leitzanus. We'll talk a little bit more later on in Yitzhashem exactly what was the Leitzanus. If we look at the Rashi here, doesn't sound exactly like Leitzanus, what he's saying. He just, he says, uh, you know, I, I want to become the new leader, but I don't want it just for myself. I'm making a rebellion for all of you. Okay. That doesn't sound like scoffing in Leitzanus. Okay, he throws a, uh, a couple of arrows, a couple of uh, small little arrows at Moshe and Aaron. He says, look, they, they took everything. They took all the important positions. I mean, that's not, a, to me, that's not exactly Leitzanus. So we, we will talk about more about this later. Perhaps the Leitzanus that they used, and Rashi perhaps is not telling us exactly what, they, what, they, what he said. He's just telling us that it was done the Leitzanus. Let's continue in the Rashi. Rashi says, Kol halayla hahu halach 
Rashi tells us here that Korach, when did he do this? Um, Hakala, when did he gather the people? When did this take place? So Rashi says it took place, Kol Halayla, previous to what it says in Pasuk Tesayin and, and Yudzayin and Yudches, that, or some, certainly Yudzayin and Yudches, it took place previously to what happened to the, in the previous two psukim that uh, Korach and his people gathered at the Oil Moyed with their Machtais. This Pasuk Yudtes is saying that something happened really before that, that before that took place, uh, Korach went the whole night before and he was gathering the people and uh, riling them up against Moshe and Aaron. First of all, I'd like to raise a question in dicto, and to this question, I don't have a good answer. I'd be more than happy to hear from someone. I've mentioned a number of times that the normal way that the Torah tells us a narrative, a narrative in sequence, this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. Obviously, the Torah does that in many different places. The Torah has many stories. By stories, I mean true stories, but still, the Torah consists in part of many different narratives. When the Torah is telling a narrative, the verb, the past tense verb form that is used is, for example, like here in Pasuk Yudches. Well, let's go back to Pasuk Tetzayin first. Vayoymer Moshe El Korach, etc., etc. Vayoymer is really a future tense verb. Yomar really means he will say. But Vayoymer, you put the Vav in front of it, that's called the Vav HaMahapet. So Vayoymer means he did say. Vayoymer Moshe, Moshe said, etc., etc., whatever he said. We find it again in Pasuk Yudches. Vayikhu, by Yikhu, Yikhu really should mean they will take, but it doesn't mean that over here. Here it means they did take. Why? Because the Torah put a Vav in front of it, the Vav HaMahapich, this Vav that turns in a future tense into a past tense. So by Yikhu, they took, each man took his fire pain. By Yikhu, each. Now first the verb in this what they call the vav conversive, the vav hamahapach form, and then you have the subject of the sentence. Now, sometimes the Torah wants to tell us an, an act, an event that did not take place in sequence with the several events that are written just before it. Sometimes the Torah wants to give us a, a flashback to something that happened previously. The most famous example, and the one that Rashi talks about the most at length, is in in, uh, in Sefer Bracious, Perik Dalit Pasuk Aleph, where after the Torah tells us about the creation of the whole world and all of the creatures and of mankind, and it tells us about Adam and Chave in Gan Eden, and it tells us about the, the terrible mistake that they made, and they were punished, Hashem declared what their punishment is to be, and then Pasuk, uh, Perik Dalit Pasuk Aleph begins, Adam yoda eschavo yishto. And the Adam, the man, he knew, meaning he had relations with Chava, his wife. Rashi notes that there it's in a different verb form. It doesn't say Vayeda Adam is Chava Ishto. It doesn't put the verb first in that Vav Hamahapech form and then the subject of the verb Adam. Rather, it says Veha Adam. It puts the subject of the sentence first and then it says Yoda, he knew or he had relations 
with his wife. And Rashi explains there that this grammatical form indicates that the action that is described in that process really took place before many of the actions that were written above it. Meaning, when did Adam have relations with his wife, Kava, and produce the children, Cain and Hevel? It happened before the whole story of their living in Gan Eden and, and making a mistake in Gan Eden and being banished from Gan Eden and having a punishment pronounced upon them. Before that, when they were back in Gan Eden in the good times, which really didn't last very long, but uh, for the amount of time that everything was good over there, that's when Adam and Chava produced their first two children. That's called the past perfect. That's like saying, I had gone to the store on Tuesday and then on Wednesday, I went again to the store and I bought a loaf of bread and then I had an argument with the storekeeper and I reminded him that I came here yesterday and I had gone. Other Mauritian had had marital relations with his wife. Now, according to Rashi here in Parshish Kura, Rashi tells us that when did Korach go and convince the people to join his rebellion? He went the night before the events that are described in the previous two psukim. The previous two psukim tell us that uh, certainly the previous one pasuk tells us that in the daytime, following Korach's original announcement of his, uh, of his rebellion, the next day, his Korach and his 250 men and Aaron, they all gathered at the Oyal Moyed and each one had his makhla. That's Pasuk Yudchetz. What is your test saying according to Rashi? But previously, the night before, Korach went to all of the Shvatan and he sold them a bill of goods and he convinced them to join his rebellion. It would seem to me that that should have been said in the past perfect form. It should have said, Korach Hikil. But instead, which would indicate that it happened before the previous event. Here, uh, here it's written in the regular narrative form by Yakel Alehem Korach. It says by Yakel first. Yakel really means he will gather, but the Vav turns it around into a past tense. And then, okay, we have this intrusion of the word Alehem as we said in the name of the Mara Rachel, but then we have, very soon after, we have the subject of the, of the verb, Korach. This would seem to indicate that Korach did not go and try to convince the people until after um, he and the 250 men and Aaron gathered at the gate of the oil mine. I don't have an answer to this question. Okay. Ranban, in a long comment on Pasek Chof Aleph says that really, the Ranban explains, you have to read and read and read until you get to this point. It's a long Ranban with a, with a long digression in the middle about a certain uh, events in history that, that are recorded in Tanakh, not in, not in the Chumash. But after, if you read long enough in the Ranban, if you, if you, if you stick with it, you'll find something very interesting. You will find that Ranban says that when did Korach go and gather the people and convince them to join his rebellion? It was after the, he and the 250 people 
had gathered at the Oyo According to Rangban, the grammar reads very nicely. Pasik Yudches says, each person took his machta and Vayamdu and they stood Pesach and they all stood by the gateway to the oil Mayed. That's Pasik Yudches. And then and then Kairach uh, took a break. So, okay, guys, everybody stand here and wait. I'm going to go now. I'm going to convince the whole Kali Yisrael to get involved. And he went and he managed, he succeeded in bringing everyone to the oil Mayed and everyone, uh, more or less, uh, Rashi says completely, apparently, on his side. We, we, we spoke about the grammatical question on Rashi. What about the, the, um, about the practical question? And, and why, why didn't Rashi, why did Rashi insist seemingly against the grammatical convention? Why did Rashi insist that this really took place the night before the event that is described in Pasek Yudches? One answer that I found in the Beforshim, it's in a super commentary on Rashi called Midayek Rashi, which was public, published in, in Warsaw, I believe in 1939 or 1938, uh, rather interesting time to be publishing Svorim in Warsaw. Sefer Midayek Rashi says that it would have been odd for Koirach after having assembled his 250 men all with their machtois, and he himself, with his machta, it, it would have been odd for him now to pick up his machta and uh, to march around uh, the, all of the different uh, machanois, all of the different encampments of the Bnei Yisrael, and to uh, try to convince them to join his rebellion. It's, uh, it'd be, a, it'd be like uh, an interruption in the flow of his activities. I thought perhaps that maybe there was not enough time we're talking about gathering and talking to, not just gathering, but talking and convincing uh, 600,000 men from the ages of 20 to 60, not to mention all the women, all the, all the young children, all the older men. It's a tremendous job. I suppose Karach was a pretty effective orator, but it takes a while to convince so many people, especially without microphones. So it could be Rashi simply had a, a, a technical problem, a, a practical problem. How could it be that Koirach and his 250 men gathered at the, at the Mishkan, and then Koirach went and, uh, and gathered all of the Klai Yisrael? I mean, it, it would, have been, would have taken uh, many, many hours. That really would have been a, an interruption in the, in the flow of his uh, activities. And I, I don't think he would want an interruption in the flow of his activities. He wants to do it already. He's got people riled up already. He wants to, he doesn't want to lose the moment. So perhaps that's why Rashi insisted that Vayakalaleim Kerach took place the night before. It is interesting to note that these explanations of Rashi disagree with certain points that Ranban makes. We said before that. The, the main point that Rashi is making here, Ranban definitely disagrees with. Ranban says that Bayakalaleim Kerach did take place after Kerach and his 250 men gathered at the Oil Mayan. 
but the, the, the explanations that we're giving for Rashi, if we look in that same long Ranban on Pasek Chof uh, Aleph, we will see that Ranban disagrees with certain details. First of all, Ranban uh, discusses, he, he raises the question, how was Korach uh, able to gather so many people? So at, and Ranban kind of goes back and forth on this question. He gives a few different answers. But the first answer that the Ranban gives is that Korach did not gather all 600,000 or all uh, 2 million of the Jews to come stand and witness what he was doing with his makhfets. Ranban says he at first only took he took the great men, the great leaders of each shape. Exactly how many there were, I don't know, but a relatively small number. That, or the, those were the only people that Korach took. So that answers uh, the, the, the purely practical question, how did Korach do it? The answer is it wasn't all that hard to gather just the leaders. And it answers the question, and how did he have time to do this, even if he could do it? But how could he possibly uh, make, why would he uh, take such a long break from his activities? The answer is, again, it really didn't take all that much time. The only ones that he gathered were the G'dayli HaShvatim. Ramban then says another explanation. He says that Kairach did not gather everyone. The only ones that he gathered were the Bukhairah. He gathered the firstborn of every family. Now that's still uh, more people, still a lot of people, but but still, I mean, if every family had uh, so and so many children, however many they had, uh, it's only one out of every family, and it's only if that uh, one uh, apparently it's only if that one is a male. Now, why did he only gather the bechirim? Because, as we have mentioned in the past, before Martin Torah and really before the Cheta Egel. The privilege of doing Aveda, the privilege of serving Hashem through Korbanas, and perhaps other services to Hashem, was the domain, was the privilege of the Bechor of each family. Before Cheta Egel, if a Jewish family wanted to bring a Korban, and they were certainly permitted to bring a Korban to Hashem, that's, that's a good thing, and it was certainly permitted before the before the construction of the Mishkan to just bring a korban anywhere, who would do it? It would be the Bechor, the firstborn son of that family. So Ramban says that Korach, part of his pitch was that he wanted to return that privilege to the Bechor. At Cheta Egel, when the, when the firstborn also participated in that sin, so the privilege was taken away to them, away from them, and it was given to the Kahanim and, and to the Levium to assist the Kahanim. Kurach knew that if he wants to uh, enlist some people to join his rebellion, you know, who, you know who he could get? You know who he, who he could probably convince? He could convince the Bechirats. So he went to them following the gathering of him, of himself and his 250 men. He then went to the Bechirats of each family the firstborn of each family, and he told them, gentlemen, I'm here for you. I want to return to you this ancient privilege that you had of bringing korbanos for your family. Okay. Rashi, of course, 
doesn't say anything about Bukhiris over here. Okay. The Ranban then says something very interesting. He then says, you know, really, I don't think the privilege of bringing Korbanus ever belonged to the Bukhiris. We have assumed all along in a number of different shiurim that that's a more or less a given. Ranban here says, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think like that. I don't believe that. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's true. When Ban says that he thinks that the privilege of bringing Korbanis originally belonged to every Jew. And he now says that Korach must have gone to everyone. What I find very interesting, I find two things very interesting about this, this one statement from Ramban. First of all, uh, now every time that we uh, want to explain something by invoking this, uh, this quote-unquote fact that before the Chet Egel, the privilege of doing the Aveda belonged to the firstborn of each family, we have to say according to Rashi, according to many commentators, but not according to this one opinion in Ramban. But I think there's also another very interesting point. I once spoke in one of these shiurim about the Psukim in Parshas Toldais, where Yaakov buys the Bechera from Esau. And the question there is, what exactly did Yaakov want? Bechera, the rights of the firstborn are, there are a variety of different parts of it. Bechera has several different uh, elements to his, uh, his title. Rashi there says that what, what Yaakov wanted <coughs> is that he wanted to take the privilege of bringing Korbanos away from Esav. Esav was the firstborn of the family, and Esav therefore had the right and the privilege of bringing Korbanos on behalf of the family. And Yaakov saw that Esav is a Russia, and he didn't think it was appropriate that Esav should have this privilege. And therefore, Yaakov used some subterfuge. That's not the topic now, whether it was appropriate or not. But Yaakov concocted a plan. Now he's going to buy He's going to purchase that right of the Bechera from Esau in order to take the privilege of doing service to Hashem away from Esau. Ramban over there, Dafka, says not. Ramban over there says that Yaakov wanted the Yerusha. We discussed in, 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 in the Shir on Parshish told us that he want the money that he was going to inherit someday from his father Yitzchak, maybe. Did he want perhaps the Arusha of Eretz Yisrael? That, that's a little easier to swallow. But he wanted the monetary privilege. It could be Rashi and Ranban are, uh, well, at least the Ranban is Lushita Asai. He is following his opinion. He, is, he, he holds here the opinion that really the privilege of bringing Korbanus never belonged to the Bukhiras. That could be why, in part, part of the reason why anyway, why in Parshas Toldais, Ranban disagreed with Rashi. He did not explain that Yaakov wanted to buy that privilege from Esau because Ranban holds, Ranban is of the opinion that Esau didn't have that privilege as far. What Esau had was, uh, were certain monetary privileges and that's what Yaakov wanted. Okay, this is a very interesting uh, set of uh, disagreements between Rashi and Ranban. I'd like to conclude with a midrash. Rashi says 
that how what method did did did, uh, did Korach use to convince the people? He used late sonus. We mentioned that it's not 100% clear what the late sonus was. There is a midrash which talks about it. This is called the midrash agada. Uh, this was uh, published first published in 1906 by the scholar Solomon or Shlomo Buber. Um, in 18, pardon me, 1906, uh, Shlomo Buber passed away. In 1894, he published a, a book called Midrash Agada, which was a collection of Midrashim, which he uh, found in Syria, amongst the Jews of Syria. And he worked with the manuscript and clarified it and annotated it and published it in 1894. Uh, he estimated that it had been compiled in the 12th somewhere between the 12th and the 13th century. Um, I've seen Midrashim from this Sefer before. They're, they're, they're very interesting. Um, one interesting point about the Midrashim in, in the Sefer Midrash Agada, there are certain Midrashim that Rashi quotes in his commentary on Chumash, which are very hard to find the source for them in Midrash Rabbah, Midrash Tanhuma in the Midrashim that we commonly have. And yet you find their source, it seems, in Buber's Midrash Agada. However, Solomon Buber himself wrote in his introduction to the Midrash Agada that he thinks it might be the reverse. It might be that in the 12th or 13th century, whoever the author of this Midrash Agada was, compiled various comments about the Psukha, some of which came from Midrash Rabbah, Midrash Tanhoma, maybe a Midrash that we never heard of that's been lost, and maybe also, maybe he had Perish Rashi al just like we had, and sometimes he stuck something in from Rashi. So the fact that you find uh, a copy of something that Rashi says in the Midrash Shagada doesn't mean that that's where Rashi fell. But anyway, that's not really relevant to what we're going to say here. Here's a very interesting Midrash. Amru al-Kairach, they said about Kairach, he leitz gadol hayah. He was a great leitz, a great scoffer. Hiskel oimer l'cholayda, he began to say to all of the congregation, Iyatem yudim me'asolachem aren achiv v'sivuyev shalmashim. You don't know what Aaron, Moshe's brother, has done by following the commandments of Moshe. You don't know what kind of mischief this Aaron is, is up to. Oh, look, I'll tell you a story. There is a widow in our neighborhood. She had one little lamb, one little female lamb. That was like her prized possession, her most valuable item. And she came, she went one day to shear it, to cut off the wool. With the wool, you can make clothing, maybe you can sell some clothing. Aaron, Aaron came along, the Amarlon, he said to her, Snu racious against. Perhaps it should be Tni. Okay. He said to her, give the racious against. He said, there's a mitzvah in the Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu taught us a mitzvah. That when a, per, when a Jew shears the wool off of his sheep, he has to give a portion of it to the Koyan. Okay. She stood up and she gave him his portion. Now later, when this, this ewe, this female sheep, gave birth to a male child, so so then 
Aaron came along and he said to this, this uh, almana, Shali Huabachar, that firstborn of the animal is mine. That's the halacha. That's the mitzvah that Meshur Rabbeinu gave us. But a firstborn animal, you have to give to the Kayin. Miyad nos noloi. So immediately the woman gave it to him. Amraha Isha, the woman said, since this is so, Shaloi Enatzel, that I can't rescue myself from Aaron. Everything I try, he takes away. So Eshreit Oisa, I'll slaughter the animal. At least I'll have meat to eat. And Aaron will have no portion in it. So Amda Vishakta Oisa, she got up and she slaughtered the animal. By the way, it sounds like from the Midrash that a woman is allowed to slaughter an animal, as the first Mishnah in Misech Techolen says. I'm not going to make much of a point out of that, but interesting. Miyad bo Aaron, immediately Aaron came, Amar and he said to her, Snuli, I think it should be Tnili, but anyway, Snuli, give to me the forearm and the cheekbone, and the keva is the fourth stomach of the cow, because that is a mitzvah in the Torah, that's called matnei kahuna, that every time you slaughter an animal, even just for your own, especially, specifically, when you slaughter an animal for your own consumption, you have to give to the kayan these three parts of the animal. That, that's meat for the kayan. So Amra, she said, I cannot rescue myself from your hands. What can I possibly do? Everything I try, you come and take it away. So she said, let the meat of this korban be a cherem to anyone who will take benefit from it. She placed upon it a cherem as a sort of a vow which forbids the item from being enjoyed by anyone. So Aaron said to her, oh, now you put it in, you, you, you placed upon it what's called cherem, it all belongs to me. She because this is what's, what's written in the Torah, called cherem v'yisrael Every cherem, every such type of vow amongst Jews that is made, to you, Aaron, it shall belong. If a person declares an item to be cherem, the law is it goes to the kayim. So Aaron took the whole animal. He took all the meat of the whole animal. And this poor woman was left empty-handed. She didn't benefit from this sheep at all. So the Midrash now concludes. No, this is Korach still speaking. So this is how Moshe and Aaron, they expound the Torah for themselves in order to take away the property of the Jews. In a way that was not commanded to them by a Kodesh Baruch. This was the late Sonus of Korach that uh, he took mitzvahs of the Torah, mitzvahs that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave to Moshe Rabbeinu, Alpi HaDibor, this is, this is prophecy. And what did Kerach say? Oh, no, it's all, it's all a scheme by the Kahanim. Moshe, he's doing favors for his brother. It's all a scheme so the Kahanim should get rich. It is interesting in light of this Midrash that if we go a little bit later in Parshish Kerach, we find the following psukim. We find that a Kaddish Baruch Hu declared that he is going to give to Aaron Hakayan 
a whole series of gifts, many of which are mentioned in this message. It says, This is in Perik Yud Ches, Pasik Ches. Hashem spoke to Aaron. Behold, I have given to you I have given you the watch over my trumas, meaning donations that are to me, I'm giving them to you. All of the holy things of B'nai Yisrael, to you I have given, etc. And with this, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is introducing what's called the Parsha of Matmas Kahuna. He's telling Aaron that I am giving you all kinds of gifts that Klai Yisrael has to give to you. He begins it by saying, Trumaisai. These are my, the donations to me. In other words, the Pasek HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying, what Klai Yisrael are supposed to give to me, I am designating it. I'm giving it over to you, to Aaron and to your children. And we see this idea over and over again in these psukim. We see it again in Pasek Tes. It says, Kol korbanam, all of their korbanais, kol min, the kol min chasam, all of their grain offerings, and all of their sin offerings, and all of their korban asham, asher yashivu li, that they will return, that they will give to me, me, Hashem, kodesh kodeshim lechol, it is holy of holies to you, meaning portions of the korbanites that they give to me, I, Hashem, am giving to you, Aaron. We see it again in Pasuk Yud Beis. The chalev, the best part of the olive oil and the best part of the wine and the best part of the grain that they produce in Eretz Yisrael, Reishi Sum, the first portion of it, Asher Yitznu Hashem, that they will give to Hashem, Lecho Nisatim, to you, Aaron, I, have given, I am giving them. Again in Pasuk Yid Gimel, Bikure Kol Asher Ba'artsam, the Bikurim, the first fruits of all the uh, various uh, trees and plants in Eretz Yisrael, in their land, Asher Yaviu Hashem, that they will bring to whom? That they will bring to Hashem, Lecho Yihiyah, to you I am giving it, to Aaron. And again in Pasuk Tezvav, it talks about Pidyon Bechor. It says, Kol Peter Rechem, every opening of the womb, meaning every firstborn child, Lechol Basar, of every person, Asher Yakrivo Lashem, that they will give to Hashem, Ba'adam, amongst people, Uba Behema, and amongst animals, Yiyeloch, it will belong to you, meaning the firstborn of every animal, the law has to be given to you, to Aaron. The firstborn of every child, it really also says, they will bring it to Hashem, but the Pesach says, you must redeem the firstborn of every person. You don't actually give it to Hashem. But again, the point is, you're supposed to give it really to Hashem, but I, Hashem, am turning it over to you, Aaron. And just one more Pesach. This is the last Pesach in this little parsha. And the Rashi says it is really a summary of everything that was said before. It says, Kol Trumas all of the donations of holy things, Asher Yerimu B'nai Yisrael Hashem, that the B'nai Yisrael will separate and lift up to give to Hashem, Nasati Lecho, I have given to you and to your, and to your sons and your daughters. 
what we see here is a is a direct refutation of what Korach uh, said according to the Midrash. Korach said, Look what's going on? Moshe Rabbeinu assigned everything to Aaron. What kind of a deal is this? What kind of a what kind of a swindle is this? And the answer is no. First of all, everything was done al pi Hashem. But secondly, really nothing's being when you really nothing's being given to the Kayan directly from the people. The people give their matonais, they give their gifts to a Kaddish Borahu. That even Korach, I, I believe even Korach would have been happy to give gifts to a Kaddish Borahu. According to all the Midrashim and all of the Mephoshim, Korach was a very spiritual person. He wanted to serve a Kaddish Borahu. Really, every time the Bnei Yisrael have to give something to the Kahanim, they're not giving it to the Kahanim. They're giving it to a Kaddish Borahu. A Kaddish Borahu assigns assigns it, a Kodesh Baruch Hu then gives it to the Bnei Yisrael. I just very recently, I also give a shir in Mishnayis. I just very recently uh, learned taught the Mishnah in Kiddushin. The Mishnah says, on the Kadesh, the Chelkai, if a Kayan gives Kiddushin to a woman by giving to her a portion of a Korban that he was permitted to eat in the Beis HaMikdash, so she is Eina Mikudeshes. She is not Mikudeshes. Why? Because, as the Gemara explains, when a Koyan eats the meat of a Korban in the base of Mikdash, it's not his property. It's from the Shulchan Gavoya. It's from the table of Hashem. It's like Hashem invited him to his capital H, his table, and said, look, this is my holy food. I'm allowing you to partake, but it's not yours. So if the Koyan takes it and then gives it to a woman as Kedushan, he has not transferred to her any item of value, she is not Mikudeshis. So this is the, the refutation of some of these uh, scoffing claims of Kairach.